Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. It's the supreme art of the teacher to awaken joy in creative expression and knowledge. And that's by Albert Einstein. Welcome to The Profitable Photographer again. As always, I'm Lucy. And I've been thinking about the fact that I know there's at least one person out there in the podcast land that is feeling really frustrated right now, maybe even crying themselves to sleep because they don't know how to find great clients during this current world pandemic. If that's you, I have a solution. If you go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, and click on the tab that says Mastermind, you'll learn more about a really awesome group that I have started. And although it's limited to 20 people, you just might get a spot. If you connect with me either via email or uh, set up a quick Zoom call with the link, you can also contact me if you just want to say hello. So I am really, really excited to have a conversation with Anne Monteith today. I have been an admirer of hers. I've taken classes from her. I don't know if I've ever had the privilege of just she and I sitting down and chatting. So this is a treat. Anne is a master craftsman photographer. She is also a fellow with the Irish EPA. She and her husband, Jim, have owned and operated three different portrait studio businesses over a few years, and maybe she'll tell you how many. She is the professional photography industry's leading authority on studio marketing and business management. She's past president of the PPA. She's an international author of books and articles pretty much countless ones about how to manage your studio. Her workshops are credited with setting some of the most successful studio photographers on the road to profitability. And she's also been really involved with the philanthropic arm of PPA, helping Operation Smile raise more than uh, $750,000 to the charity. And then she has something awesome she's going to talk about that is her new, new passion, which is helping photographers and families and businesses preserve their vulnerable digital files. Phew, I could go on and on. (laughs) But with all that being said, and welcome, and thank you so much for being on my show. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Lucy, and I'm so happy to be able to talk about something that's really, for me, truly a life-changing experience. I know that sounds a little bit grand, but perhaps I can give you some background that will tell you why this thing was so extraordinary for me. Well, I have a few questions first, and I'll be really excited to hear. I know you have a really powerful story about that. First off, I would love to know how you became a photographer kind of in a nutshell, where did your passion for photography and your decision to have a business start? Well, I was editor of both my high school and co-editor of my college yearbooks, and that brought me in touch with photography. I fiddled with it a little bit, but it wasn't until after I graduated from Bucknell University, I went to work as a director of publications for a local college in Anvil, Lebanon Valley College in Pennsylvania. I needed photography 
to go along with the work that I did. And I just couldn't find anybody that was doing the kind of thing that I could see in my mind's eye. And luckily, I was married to a man who, while he was in graduate school, had a dark room, and he had learned all the technical stuff. And so I went to him for help, and ultimately that turned into a business for both of us. Interesting. I was editor of my year. I'm pretty tongue-tied this morning. And I was editor of my yearbook in high school as well. I know it's kind of common. I wasn't doing any photography, but I think all of that, first of all, people don't know, being the editor of yearbook is basically being the head of a small business. Would, would you agree with that? I would agree with that, definitely. You have to know how to manage people. Yes, and get tasks done, deadlines. We used to have these, the sheets that came in, they were brown for us kind of the proofs. And we, I remember being brown sheets, brown sheets, brown sheets. <laughs> when they... In fact, I was um, actually working with some of those brown sheets while I was in labor with my second oh child. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I was director of public relations and worked with the yearbook. Yeah. And so I'm sure that our visual sensibilities grew from the layout, the design, helping pick photographs and all that. So if you have kids, get them on yearbook because yeah, and I tried to be an artist. I tried to paint, didn't work. Tried to draw, didn't work. I could see it in my head, and all of a sudden I had a camera in my hand, and well, hey, it all worked. We must be living parallel lives, In It was the same thing. I painted, I did glass, I tried clay. I kind of, I write some nice poetry, nothing to publish a book about. I was an English major, and I can't make anything rhyme. <laughs> but then as soon as I got a friend's digital, or not digital, but 35 millimeter in my hand and I took a few pictures and saw the results. It was like you said, it was just like, Oh, this is your destiny. So yeah, I love it. One of the things that you've devoted your life to is teaching photographers, the business of photography. If people have not been around PPA very long, you may not know this, but anybody that's been in PPA for any length of time knows that Anne is, is the go-to about how to run a business, how to deal with the money part. Are there a few core elements that you teach on how to be successful? Like, is there kind of a two or three kind of overall principles that you make sure? Not so much that there are overall principles. Well, yeah, I can give you one. You take money in, money goes out, you need some left over for you. <laughs> and for that to happen, it takes more than just one thing to study. It's nice to say financial management, but until you study marketing, the financial side of things, sales as well, all of those link together. And so when somebody calls me and says, I don't know how to do my price list, what can I do? I can't give them a 15 minute explanation. They'll say, oh, well, I'll pay you if you'll do my price list, but I can't do that until I know all, that you are capable of doing all those other things first. And so, truthfully, to be successful takes about a five-day class of the kinds of things that I teach, and that's an amalgamation of things that I've learned from many, many years of study and terrific help that I've received through uh, Professional Photographers of America. I had a mentor named Bud Haynes. There's an award named after Bud because he was, at the time, the only person who taught financial management. And so I learned that tough stuff from him. And he was kind enough to take me on. And uh, so when, by the time Bud retired, I sort of took over where he left off. And it's been a really a great pleasure doing it. Because oddly enough, 
I got into this because of wanting to be creative. And I discovered along the way, creating a business, there's really nothing more creative than to be actually create a business where nothing existed. And so it's the kind of the romance of the small business that has driven me to want to do this. And, and it's hard not to want to give anybody who's interested a hand up to do this because it's a wonderful way of life. Even during a pandemic, there are even some benefits from working for yourself because there are things that you can continue to do. Right. Like we can give ourselves a raise. We're not dependent. Yes. And we can also go sometimes without a salary when we want to make certain we can make payroll. So both sides of the fence work for us, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love being my own boss. Yeah. I like there are both sides of the issue. Sometimes you can give yourself a raise, but other times you don't take any money out of the business because you have to meet payroll of the people who work for you. Right. All things considered, I would still say I'd rather be my own boss. Oh, yeah. And I'm finding, I don't know if you're seeing this, but a lot of people are now that kind of the, we're settling into the temporary new normal. I'm not going to call it the forever new normal. A lot of people are actually getting booked, doing sessions, having great sales. Like something has turned as I'm paying attention to what's happening out there. I have seen that and I've seen some very creative things that people are doing. Portraits is one of them. Through all of the years that I've been doing this, I've actually lived through, this is the fourth recession that I've been involved in. And in each one, I spent that time developing what I was going to do next. I did massive marketing during all of those periods because at the end of the day, you don't really have time to sit down until very late at night to start to put together the creative ideas. What am I going to do? What is my promotional piece going to look like? And I always use that time during those lulls, knowing that there was a limit to what, how I could spend my time because I didn't have that many customers coming in. It was hard to do, but don't waste your time. Spend it doing something so that when the doors open again, you can hit the ground running. Right. So I always had my best periods of times right after a recession. Same here. I think my fifth, I started in 82, actually in the middle of a recession. And I didn't know any better that it was a bad time to start a business because for me, it wasn't, it was my time. And same thing, I would use the time to become a better photographer, a better salesperson and improve my marketing and my branding. And then when it got back to whatever we call normal is, there was less competition because a lot of our colleagues just did not do what it took to survive. As you, I was in a much better position than I was before it started. So that just marketing alone, because other people aren't marketing because they're still looking their wounds. If you're marketing, you're the one that's going to get the business. It's a hard thing to get across, but it, it is the truth. Yep, absolutely. Uh, that is leads me to wanting to know about this exciting, life-changing story that you have and your new passion. Tell me about the graveyard in Ireland. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about photo preservation or photo archiving, photo organizing. You hear all of those terms. I was totally unaware of any of them until this, my life changed. As I say, it started in a graveyard in Ireland. I've been going to Ireland every year for quite a number of years because I have a real passion for that country. Most of the time you end up taking some photographs around a graveyard because they're very interesting. I happened to run in two Americans in the graveyard and they were 
actually doing the sketching of their the words on this old stone because it was from one of their ancestors. We got to talking, and as things happen in Ireland, when you start talking, you usually end up in a pub. Had an extended conversation, and they were interested in my business that I was a photographer, and they let me know that they were genealogists, and they said, "Now tell me, what is your industry doing about the coming digital dark age?" And I said, "What are you talking about?" And they said, "Well, everything that we do begins with paper records, and we can go back." for hundreds of years in going into little villages, into the churches or the synagogues or into the town halls and get the records that we need to identify our ancestors. And they say, but now all of that is being placed on digital material. It's not going to last the way paper does. And so we are expecting a digital dark age to come. And we presume that the same thing is going to happen with photography. And I'm sitting there going, Well, for the last number of years, I've been telling everyone that they need to sell wall portraits because they will last forever and so on. And I think about that. But after I got back, I got to thinking, well, but what about the things that aren't wall portraits? And they could disappear. And I kind of stuck that in the back of my mind and it just wouldn't leave. So back in the United States, I started doing some research. And I came up with a statement that I can see if I can find this here. I believe I can. It was something that I found out from Ancestry.com. And those people know an awful lot about old things. And this is the quote that I found. Paper archives can survive centuries of benign neglect. Digital archives require careful management if they are to survive more than a few years. And I got to thinking what are they talking about? Is this, are these things actually going to go poof? And what is the proper kind of management? And that led me to the National Archives, where I learned a lot about what has to be done in temperature controls and all kinds of things that I can't tell you today. Wouldn't make much sense to you anyway, as it didn't to me. But there are professionals who dedicate their lives to this. And I thought, well, At least, at the very least, I need to get all the things printed that I really care about. And the first thing I thought about were the images that I'd made in Ireland. And I I vowed to myself, well, I'll get them into a book. And at least that way, they will be on paper. Maybe they can last long enough for my kids to see them. And maybe they'll want to go to Ireland, too, because they're busy with their lives and they haven't had a chance to take those kinds of trips. So that was the first step. Enough research to know that there were things I had to do, but then the box arrived. And by the box, as it is known around my house, I found in an attic, I I live in an 1876 farmhouse that has a a summer house, and there's an attic in that. All the things I didn't know what to do with because I was busy running a studio sort of fell into that attic. And I had to find something and I was digging in it. And at the bottom of it, I found this huge, heavy cardboard box. It was all strapped up with tape and my husband helped me get it out and we opened it and I nearly fell over because I'm an army brat. I've moved 34 times before I got married and my parents moved about 40 times in their lives. And there were never very many photographs that I really saw, a few of them that I was aware of, some pictures that my parents had taken. I'm an only child. Me, when I was small at a studio photographer. And otherwise, I never really saw very many pictures. And in this box, I open it up, 
there are 1,500 slides and other photographs that my father had been taking, unbeknownst to me, from ever since he was stationed right after the war, Second War, when he, in charge of uh, moving troops from the U.S. over to Japan for the occupation. And there were historical pictures there. There were pictures that when we were in Europe, I have one with Queen Elizabeth in it. I mean, these things are remarkable. And along with it, here's little Anne Kendall Monteith growing up. And I saw pictures of myself as a baby all the way up until my wedding. My father was actually taking pictures of my wedding and I didn't know it. And so here I have this remarkable bunch of photographs. Plus, I did know that when my father retired, he left a big um, file cabinet. And I started going through that and I found things of my mother's that she had done when she was a child. And just all of this heritage that I had to do something about. It's funny about stress. I have never felt much bother with stress. I've always said, if it weren't for stress, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) So I kind of thrive on it. But I became so overstressed by this, I could hardly move. How am I going to deal with this? I can't print everything. Got it. And how do I get them stored properly? And honestly, almost like one of these out-of-body experiences, start hearing these do-do-do-do sounds. Yeah. I saw an email that came across uh, as I'm writing things down, literally writing things down that how am I going to do this from a company called Forever. Didn't know anything about them, but the name fascinated me. So I opened up the email and my life changed, literally. Because I found this company is advertising all the various things that I need to make this possible. Wow. The next step was I thought, where is this company? Those who know me, I never deal with anything until I know the company and I know about them. And I certainly don't recommend them to anybody until I know all about them. So I found out, good grief, they're in Pittsburgh. And I'm on the other side of the state. But I just so happens, once again, strange things are going on here, in three weeks, I was scheduled to speak at the Triangle organization, which sadly, I was the last speaker there. I I was wrapping things up to be there in three weeks. And so I called this organization and said, may I come out? I have questions. I have this big bunch of things I need to deal with. And you guys obviously know about it. I went there and I learned about photo preservation, photo archiving from forever.com. And it is from then on, I began doing what they recommend always is to do your stuff first. That's what I started doing was archiving. But it didn't take very long before I realized, well, my goodness, this could be a business. I mean, it is a business for people who do specifically photo archiving, photo organizing. But that wasn't my interest so much as saying, here's a tool that photographers can use so that they can do photo histories for their clients Not only do they have your own client base that exists, it's a great way to bring other people into your business. All right, how about local businesses themselves? Having a history of a business is a very helpful thing to have as well. And so I started doing both things, starting with my own photographs. And that's the best way to start, in my view is to do your own work because you discover things. You know, I thought, oh, I was just going to be dealing with those photographs from my dad and my mom and some old ones that I had of, I was aware of some really old two past generations. Uh, one that a fellow who was born in 1792 
but was photographed shortly after photography was invented. So I had those, but all I had were little scraps of paper about them. And so how do I create a history with little scraps of paper and photographs, some that are digital, some that are negatives that I have? How do I bring all these things together? Because I was learning that it's, what do we do in when you have some kind of a, a national event like a, a forest fires or if you have floods? What do people grab? They grab their pictures. But it used to be easy because you could grab a scrapbook. You can't do that anymore because where are your photographs? They're all over the place. How many different in types of photography? It's a little more complicated today if you're trying to do a history because you're dealing with digital materials, your negatives, you have hard copies, you have pictures that are on the wall, things that are in your attic, in sock drawers. I mean, they're everywhere. And not to mention your phone. And when you start... CDs, thumb drives. Exactly. I worry about brides who get thumb drives. Photographers thinking that those thumb drives are going to be readable in five years and that they've kind of done their job by delivering a thumb drive. Yes, it's the responsibility of brides and grooms to put it in a computer, download it, save it. When we used to deliver CDs, there was the belief that those would last forever, but it's just not true. This is fascinating. Just yesterday, I was on the phone with Helen Yancey, who is now archiving her photographs. She told me the experience that she's been going through with some older CDs that she had, that when she put them in her iMac, they can't be read because the system has outgrown the CDs. Right. So now she had to borrow some older uh, Macs to be able to work. And I'd not even thought in terms of the system. I've thought in terms of like, we used to use zip drives. Well, I can't open anything right now with a zip drive. There are all kinds of ways that obsolescence can happen or the fact that you just simply can't read the image. The image right, and it's become corrupt. But then you, there's also the technology issue here. It becomes, once you recognize this, and if you really care anything about your photographs, you start to do something about it. But then the next wave hits you. And that's, I didn't realize how many things I had. I knew about my old family photographs and the things from my parents. But then I looking through my own snapshots of my kids, which I had not thought anything about for years. Where did I put them? I do a wonderful job. And this is a story here from photographers everywhere. I do a great job taking care of my client stuff. I've got all the information I need about that. Where did I put my own stuff? Here, there, and everywhere. Well, it took me months to round all that stuff up, and I'm still finding things. So you begin to realize that you have not only photographic things, you have programs and clippings, newspaper clippings, and all kinds of things. And you may even have in your home something that is so dear to you that someone gave to you. And you want your heirs, your children, to recognize that it's important in your family. Well, I've learned now to take pictures of those things, and then I put them into my forever history so that they know this is something that you don't want, you want to treat very specially because it's been in the family for 200 years. Since this is a podcast on profitability, I love the idea that this could turn into a business. My first thought when you're sharing that it's months and months of, for you is how someone could charge enough to make it worth it working with people. Or can you give some ideas on if someone were like, this sounds great, Anne, how do I get started? What do I charge, etc.? That's a great question because I spent a great deal of time concerned about that very issue. 
there are folks and I've I interact now with an awful lot of people that have who own their own businesses doing this kind of work and that's all that they do. They are as different as day and night. People have found specialties that they like to do, but there are some that do all the work themselves and they charge by the hour. And the fees run anywhere from fifty to a hundred dollars an hour usually in the work that they do. And so you the first question in my mind is, okay, well, how many people have the kind of income that they could spend, say, a thousand dollars a month with you over a period of a year? We all know that there are limits to people who can be at the upper end. I've always said carriage trade is wonderful to have, but as a percentage of the people that are out there, you better have a little bit of the middle class in there to sustain you because you can't, in a universe such as mine, where we're out in the country and we're an hour away from an ideal market, I have to do an awful lot of marketing in order to, if I were in that ideal market where there is a population of, let's say, 400,000 people instead of the 50,000 50, that are in my general area within, let's say, 45 minutes, they can, they can reach me. I have to tailor my business so that it's broad enough to get enough clients that can afford me at, at a certain level, but also have that carriage trade. Well, the nice thing about getting involved with people's photographs and helping them with this, you do meet a group of people that are generally very well qualified to pay for what you're doing. And think in terms of who the ideal client is. It's generally not an 18-year-old. Your own children will probably not be interested in what you're doing. When people get to be a certain age where they're thinking about downsizing, suddenly realizing their mortality is a real issue. These are folks that are really more interested in it. If you have a retired population in your area, that's a really good place to go to look for clients. Now, how you deal with them is up to you. If you do all the work for them, it is they have to be very well qualified to spend the money. And as you know, there are some retired people who are very well qualified to do that. They've come through this pandemic just fine. If you are working with, with people who you feel would love to have your services, you can serve as you are doing, as a really a coach. And that's been my interest. Because I can get people started with forever, and they have such wonderful training there that costs nothing for you. So you can learn to use, like anytime we look at a new software platform, we have to learn about it. And how are we going to do it? Well, we're either going to sit down with a manual, which drives me crazy. I generally try to get somebody to help me one way or the other. Well, they have plenty of help. So that's nothing that I need to do. So that saves me a lot of time. And if I can give them good enough explanation of what they need to do. And in my case, I love them if they have Macs because I have a Mac. That doesn't mean I will turn someone away who doesn't. But I do ask for them to present the images to me with dates on them in folders. And that can either be a physical folder or it can be a desktop folder. And so I will lay down some very specific things for them to do to get started. And then I will sit with them to get started and so they're paying, they can pay for me to help them with uh, any text that they need if they don't want to do the writing themselves. It's not necessary for you to be a writer, though. I tell people anything that you find out, either whether it's an event that you just participated in so you know what went on at that event, or if it's someone's life that you are detailing who might have been a great-great-grandfather, you can simply use bullet points to put that information down. That's all you really need, and anybody can write a bullet point. 
born in 1776, lived in Virginia, whatever. It depends upon how much work you're going to do for your client. And sometimes you can put it into two, just two different product lines. So I'm trying to wrap my head around this as a concrete, billable business model. For me, necessarily, but how people listening could picture this happening. So you had the one scenario, there's the people that would pay us to do the work. So that's the one scenario. The other is people who want to do it yourself, but would like to have the coaching. So how do you bill them? Do you create a package over a certain amount of hours? Or it sounds like a daunting adventure for anyone. For me, the best way to start is to look at this as if you were billing a commercial job. For most portrait photographers, as I imagine many of your clients are studio portrait photographers, they're listening to your podcast. When we have to learn about billing commercially, it's a a different thing. We're not dealing with a specific price list other than, say, prints that we would do or digital files that we would provide. We could have a set price for that, but it's our time that becomes the issue. And in many cases, we would build either a half day's time or a full day's time. That's one way to do it. For me, the best thing to do is to have a, at no charge, a consultation with the client to find out the scope of what they have. And you can make that more efficient by having a questionnaire that they can fill out that's in your hands before you even talk to them. And so you can ask to meet with them in person. Sometimes uh, you can go to their home if that would be helpful for you. If you And I wouldn't recommend that you do that unless you feel that this is a real opportunity. Because if they have something very special, a collection, for example, you might want to go see that. But otherwise, you can offer them a certain defined period of service that you can work. A certain number of hours, if you wish. A, a number of days that you estimate will be appropriate. But until I get to a certain point, I can't give you a firm until I actually see the work in front of me. On estimate, I would say it would be in this area. And whenever I do an estimate, I try very hard to stick with that. I don't want to go over it unless in the middle of it, we have a conversation that says, I didn't expect to be doing all of your mother's work in addition to yours. Right. So then let's get down to concrete numbers for people to visualize if you were to do a half day and then let's say four follow-up calls and you were doing it hourly, is it still in that $50 to $100 an hour? In general, I would look at a half a day and then I would look at a full day. And so what kind of ranges? Around $1,000 depending on what the job is for a full day. There are additional fees that you would have because of time and travel and things like that. But again, I have to know specifically from people and Let's just talk about this estimating to begin with. I find that when somebody calls on the phone, and this applies to my whole life in business, if they call you and say, how much will it cost for such and such? And it's not something that you normally do, because we all know how to answer the how much is an 8 by 10 question. Do you agree? We can handle that, right? Yes. You have a way to handle that. Yes. Okay. But what happens if you've never done what the person is asking you to do. I will take down the particulars and I tell them that I'm going to have to do a little study on that and I will call them back. This buys me time to think about not only the great opportunity it's going to be is what can happen if this is a pain in the neck. 
And so I can sit and really define very specifically what I'm going to do. And I know you want a specific amount of money, but all I can tell you is I'm going to start with knowing that the least I can charge is a day rate, $1,000. And then I'm going to, I have to know specifically what is involved for me to really come up with. I will buy enough time so that I can come back to them and do it from a perspective of this is the value of what I'm doing rather than talk about the dollar amount. For this, you can expect to receive blah, blah, blah. That way, and then then you always ask the question, how do you feel about that? And then you'll find out if there are objections. So once again, all of this business stuff, until you understand how to sell, how much it costs for you to do business, it's very difficult to come up with a price list. I wanted to give people a vision of if it's worth it. And it sounds like if you had two clients a week, two full days, that's $2,000 a week. That's $8,000 a month without cost of goods. So for some people, that's a gold mine. And for some people, that's pocket change. It just depends upon where you are in your life. And one thing that I have discovered that I think is real important, there are folks look at me all the time and say, when are you going to retire? And well, I should have retired a number of years ago, but I come from a long line of people who like to work and feel useful. And so I've really, well, the joke is when I'm 90, I'm going to retire. That's my grandmother retired when she was 92. I enjoy working. But I also don't enjoy lugging camera equipment around the way I used to. Right. I agree. I do a lot of things differently. I work with a very different camera system that's a lot easier to, you know, there's a fixed lens camera. And uh, I change a lot of that to begin with. As I'm talking to people who are reaching that retirement age, many of them are not happy to be retiring. They feel like they're turning their back on their life. And I understand how that feels because we do think of ourselves as being part of a community and of being helpful to people. One of the things that I love about photo archiving is it's a way for you to maintain your place in the community. And you will find remarkably that the people who use your services appreciate it more than you can possibly imagine. I've never received such appreciation as I have for the work that I'm doing here. I think I can credit that to the fact that once you get to know their Uncle George and their Aunt Martha, they feel like you're a member of the family. Trying to get across to them, I'm now a trusted advisor, a trusted family advisor. Now, that opens many doors for you in terms of photography. If you're still wanting photography to be your main business and do this as a sideline, It's a a very good way to get yourself into places that you might not have ever gone before in your regular business because folks that are interested in doing this generally have the spending ability. And once once you've met all their relatives, who are they? You can simply say to them, and when was the last time you had a family portrait? Now, look, Mrs. Smith, it's time that you come into the studio and they will take your advice. And I really enjoy that position. And I think many photographers who have found this to be something that they're enjoying doing, it's for that reason. And you can do this until you're 92 or if you make it that long. So, And it's the reason that I actually have a website up now because I am actively courting that business. There's no one in my community doing anything like this. And it took me, I, I must admit, it took me a while to learn. 
I've been at this now since 2016 is when I first started with. And I started with my own things and I've been doing things for other people as I've gone along. One of the things that distresses me is the degree to which photographers seem to be the hardest to convince that they need to take care of their own stuff. Because I will ask the question over and over again, what have you done to assure your photographs, your family photographs that you treasure are going to be available to your kids? To me, almost invariably, well, I have a RAID drive. Yeah. You know, I back them up. Well, there's a difference, a big difference, because let's just take the scenario is pretty typical. When a person or a family, mother, let's say mom and dad pass away, or grandma and grandma, grandpa pass away, they leave behind an estate, correct? That they're not really interested in glassware stuff. You get rid of it. Well, in there are going to be your photographs someplace. They're going to, they'll just show up in different places and you'll throw them in a box or, or something. Some of them will just be lost because they haven't been cared for. And what about the things that are on computers? Anything that's in the digital realm is likely to go away because they don't have passwords. They don't have any way to assure that this part of their legacy, or in fact, it's part of their estate, has been taken care of so that you can be designated that when you pass on, it, your family actually has access to it. Yeah. Consider this to be part of your estate that you are passing on. Right. Once your own children get to the age that you are, when you're doing this, they will understand it and they can pass it on to theirs. And if not, your RAID drive is not worth anything. Right. I'm not going to mention the company, but my first one and I replaced it, it was proprietary software. When the software went bad in this particular RAID unit, I bought another unit so it would work. And then when that one went bad, I bought another one and I wasn't able to get anything to show up on my computer. It took me probably a month of trying with the tech person and then two weeks of downloading it onto a hard drive. Some of these systems have proprietary software that like I've got these exterior hard drives, but there's nothing to read them already. This, we're just about out of time, but my thought on this too, that concerns me about younger photographers, because I'm on a lot of Facebook groups and conversations. I love to listen and, and share and support people. People will comment, oh, a client, it's been a year and I discarded a client's file and now she's lost hers. I still have a garage full of negatives that I'm not sure what I'm going to do with those at this point in my career. Here and there, I've been the hero when somebody had a fire or there was one situation where there was a divorce and the husband won the portrait in the custody. He got custody of the portrait. But the importance of saving our clients' images. Hard drive space is so small. Why not just keep a library, but so much more involved um, within how to keep those up to date and so forth. And that's it. Let me just add the one thing that makes forever unique and the reason I use them is the fact that they have a guarantee. And believe me, I don't deal with anybody until I go find, meet them, find out what they're doing. They are unique in the fact that you don't rent space from them. You actually purchase it. It's inexpensive very inexpensive. What happens if the company goes out of business, Anne? When you go to their website, you will see all the guarantees that they have. It's almost like an insurance company because anything that you spend with them, most of it goes into a perpetual fund. 
that takes care of these images that will, if, for example, JPEGs suddenly become obsolete in favor of something else, they have the capacity then and the money put away so they can be upgraded into whatever the format of the day turns out to be. And so you actually have something that you can pass on to, and I have already indicated in my legacy with them, my children have access to these accounts so that they automatically have them. And I don't, they don't have to worry about trying to find something. It's okay. all there in one place. Interesting. That's why it's such an unusual organization. It would be worth your while to go to my website and take a look at uh, some of the resources in there including Glenn Meekham, who is the founder and the, the CEO of Forever. Uh, he has a fascinating background, and he has sold a very successful company through the dot-com era, and he is behind this company because he wanted something for his own family to assure legacy. And so that's how it got started. It really has been a remarkable thing. Awesome learning process for me and I just I really do feel very passionate about it because I could have lost lost a great deal without if I had not right there is a way that someone could get a $15 coupon to get started if they go to saveyourphotohistory.com slash page slash page dash two and that will be also in the show notes you'll get to Anne's site and you'll be able to get over to the forever.com for that special price. So if you could summarize about the importance of running a successful business or how to, or one last word of wisdom about being a profitable photographer. Well, I think the most important thing that anyone does is do an annual business plan. And that business plan consists of an income and expense projection in which you determine how many sessions it will take you to make X number of dollars. Apply that opposite to your costs of doing business. And a lot of people will say to me, well, that's just looking into a crystal ball. No, it really isn't because it's setting a standard by which you can look and you can say, all right, I was supposed to earn $5,000 this month, but I only earned $4,000 in gross sales. So then you'd start looking at your expenses. Where can I cut down? Where's that money going to go that you didn't get? I mean, it's out of your pocket. And so by understanding your finances, your income and your expenses, and it is from that, of course, that you begin to develop your pricing. That is so key to it. The percentage of people who do their annual plan is, I'm sad to say, very small. We learned this through the benchmark survey uh, that I wrote for that PPA produced. I did the findings for that. And I was very sad to see very few people were actually doing that work. But that work is vitally, vitally important. Successware has, in their software, they have a business plan that makes life easy for you to do. It's essential because until you do that, uh, the first business plan I did under Bud Haynes' tutelage, uh, many years ago, I discovered that if I worked harder than I'd ever worked in my life. If I kept doing what I was doing, Jim and Ann together could take home $17,000. And at the time, I had horses in my barn that were eating $17,000 worth oh, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's kind of like, yeah, well, first shoot the horses. So what did I do? I just slashed through my top line and I added $1,000 each month and said, okay, and still that wasn't enough. So I ended up adding $4,000 each month 
and it came out that Jim and Ann actually made a living wage. Then the next question was, how the heck am I going to do this? Well, number one is I had to triple my prices, which was scary, which means I had to take a look and see where I was losing and where I was gaining. Then I also had to figure out I had to get more customers in the door. But then I was able to say, well, in my last business, Persnickety Pet Portraits, I know I had to do 100 sessions a year in order to be profitable and nicely profitable. Once you do that, you have control. Right. And until you have that, you have no control. You're just going, you're, you're just buffeting along, kind of like we all feel right now. We don't have control of the situation, and it's, it's not great because we're living through a pandemic. But the fact is, if, you're, if you can sit there and use your brain while the pandemic is on and start doing some of these things, like doing a business plan, you'll be ready to go out that door. You will take the competition down because you're ready for it. Right. As a person that's not naturally drawn to the numbers, details side of business, the thought of doing that always felt really daunting. And as I've now become a business coach and I do that with my coaching clients, first of all, it's easier than I thought. It's interesting how when I sit down, we set up a one-year, three-year, five-year, so they get a picture of where they can be going. Almost every time the clients will say, oh my gosh, so you mean I only have to find, we'll put it in terms of what you just mentioned with your pet photography business. I only have to have two great clients a week with Mm -hmm. an average sale of, let's say $2,000 to make the, to set the goals that I want. Wow. It's easier than I thought. So there's. And not only that, think about this. If you know that you have to get two a week, the next question is, where am I going to go get them? What comes to mind? Well, in my mind, I think in terms of pet, anybody who's in the pet industry, how can I do some cooperative marketing with them? How about I go to my vet, who's a terrific guy, has a great practice, and, and put into his mailing to all his clients when it's time for, their, for the pet to come in, a gift certificate from me. Is that going to be worth one of them? Maybe. Well, and how, what do I do about the second one? How can I get that second one? Then it becomes real easy. But you can't just sit down there trying to eat the elephant in one gulp. No, but to break it down and see the numbers to me makes it actually easier rather than overwhelming. I was afraid it would be overwhelming. It really isn't because believe me, I, if I can do it, I was an English major. I numbers were scared the heck out of me, but I've learned that numbers are your friends. The answer is always in the numbers. Just makes the whole world a lot easier to deal with when you understand that. Yes. This has been such a delight and I could talk to you forever and learn from you forever. And I hope you do keep teaching and doing all the good things you're doing and not retire and keep sharing your wisdom. Well, may we all just have good health and emerge from this little downturn and and be healthier because of it. Yeah. I want to remind my listeners, I'm going to do a quick little wrap up after wish Anna fond adieu. (laughs) So stay tuned for that. And so, Anne, thank you so, so much for being on the show. I know that there are people that this is going to be just a, a huge, awesome idea for them, both for their own lives and for potential income. So thank you very much. Well, if anyone needs help, just give me a call. I prefer the telephone than texting. You can get more done. Okay. And her, thank you. You're welcome. 
congratulations on your podcast. Thank you. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.